What Should I Think About is a podcast with me, Celine, and my dad, Stephen. We talk about burning issues in media, politics, and science. Hello, and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine. And I'm Stephen. Today, we're going to talk about evolution and you've read um, an article with some studies, like some, some data. There's a couple of surveys really that, that were quite interesting um, that I've posted on Twitter today and we've had a few discussions around that. Um, so I was wondering how many creationists there are in, in the world really and obviously you have to do this by nation because it depends very much on where in the world you're talking about but if you're looking at America um, so there's a survey here um, I think it was 2018, 19, something like that. So fairly recent. Um, it very much depended how you asked the question, but depending on how you asked the question, between 18 and 31% of Americans surveyed said that they believed humans had always existed in their present form. So, I mean, that would be, you could describe that as a creationist position, really. So humans had always existed in their present form. They hadn't evolved from lower creatures or mm. other creatures, let's say. Um, so, you know, that's somewhere between one in five and three out of every ten Americans reject an evolutionary past for human beings, that has to be said. So that was really what we were looking at. Um and that's that seems quite a lot still. If you if you go for the bigger number there, that's kind of a third of of Americans are are believing in uh, creation and not evolution. I was quite surprised by that figure. Um, though yeah. I don't know why, because I I know America is quite a religious nation. I mean, um, it's always brought up, especially he who shall not be named. Um, it was a large part of his base, but. Just with every president, I remember they always speak about God. So I suppose it shouldn't be surprising. I, I guess I'm just used to hanging around with people that aren't religious and don't believe that. But yeah, that is quite a large number, isn't it? Yeah, um, it, it is. So I thought, well, maybe the UK is different. So I, I went to have a look at the UK. Um, polled by, or I think commissioned by BBC Horizon, but carried out by Ipsos Mori. Um, they found that 22% identified with a creationist position, uh, 17% with an intelligent design position, and 48% with an evolutionary position. So there were three three statements, if you like, that they had to identify with most closely. Which of these three statements do you identify with? Um, so 22% with a, a sort of creationist, a sort of young Earth creationist, I suppose, that everything happened within 10,000 years. Um, 17% was a, a slightly more nuanced position where they believe that life had to have been intelligently designed as opposed to happened through natural processes and 48% was the the pure evolutionary explanation so that's about half of people believe that evolution is the kind of um, the answer uh, which you know is a bit more than than the Mm. American um, survey but still quite surprising half of Brits um, are taking a stance that that would still say that God did it, basically. Yeah, and obviously that doesn't specify. Um, that's just across all religions, isn't it? It's not like um, we're not just looking at Christianity versus um, like some sort of weird battle. <laughs> Christianity versus evolution. It's um, non-specific to which 
god you think did it and absolutely britain's quite a multicultural place there's lots of different religious groups living here so i suppose it's not surprising if you think about it when you're in the street you will see lots of people from lots of different faiths i suppose um yeah although i think the the kind of um the demographic mix is perhaps less uh, less of a factor than you might think actually i mean i'm talking without actually having the the proper data but um but yeah there's lots of um i think i think where where the the difficulty lies is yes it's easy to say if you happen to be a, a fundamentalist christian let's say you, you kind of know where they're going to stand with other demographics though it's not quite so simple but there's still a lot of belief in some sort of god so that they don't necessarily go to church or identify as having a particular religion but they still think that that there is a god that kind of kicked it all off somehow um, and i think that's where a lot of the confusion arises really yeah because i do hear people say um that they're spiritual that's a phrase that i now hear yes. in my sort of so you know sort of circles or people that i listen to or engage with their content they kind of say i i, I don't hear a lot of um organized religion like i said i don't hang around with a lot of people that are part of organized religion but um and you know regularly going to church or a, or a mosque or something but i do spend time with people that have said like I guess would be more agnostic or like would be more like yeah believe in this idea of whatever spiritualism or like that means to them I guess it's yeah. kind of like a fluid term that can be used yeah. which is interesting with that study you had with the UK one did they did the US one include the question about having a hand in it or was it very cut and dry so what what was interesting about the US uh one if I just find it mm-hmm. yeah so so this was quite interesting because it depended on how the question was asked so they asked two questions one with a kind of double barrel format and the other one just a single question mm-hmm. so the single question format was which statement comes closest to your views mm-hmm. humans have always existed in their present form humans evolved god had a role humans evolved god had no role those are the three answers in the single question format that they had to choose between um, and for that version just 18 percent of u.s adults said that humans have always existed in their present form so if you were taking that as a as a decision as how many creationists you've got in america you would then say just 18 percent have that kind of strong creationist position mm. So they would choose the first of those options. Humans have always existed in their present form. Um, So uh, quite a minority, although it's still one in five. So that's still, you know, 18% is still a big number. When you you think of all the people in America, there's a lot of of Americans. (laughs) Yeah. And of course, there will be in pockets of um, kind Mm. of uh, locality. But anyway, that's still relatively small number but when you ask a two question format so the the way they did it was they had a first question which said which statement comes closer to your views humans have always existed in their present form or humans evolved so then those who said evolved were asked about the process Uh, and then question two for those people which statement comes closer to your views god had a role or god had no role so that for that group um we came out at 31 percent of respondents who had a kind of um humans have existed in their present form Mm. um type answer so 
what what the conclusion they come to is that that people are kind of nervous, I suppose, socially of rejecting entirely the idea of that there is some sort of divine being, and if given an opportunity, they'll kind of go with the the one that gives them the the most the chance of, of yeah mm. of doing that. And I think that's probably quite insightful, mm. actually. I think that's interesting as a point just generally as well to bring up in terms of statistics and it's something we want to talk about at some point in a podcast that there's nuance in conversation to have after you take these studies it's not just like this is the clear facts like even just with two kinds of questioning you end up with some quite starkly different stats so we've talked about people's belief and and how these questions revealed um things and and that and so on but what actually is evolution like is there a clear-cut definition or um what do you think yeah so i think this is where a lot of the problem lies um and the same goes for creation really so the the two phrases i think are poorly understood by everybody involved really so let's start with with evolution so we're talking here about biological evolution which is different to just the idea that things change and and uh, so on um, so evolution from a biological standpoint is that um, creatures on earth all have a single ancestry if you like we're all related and that more complex forms come from simpler forms and that uh, all creatures are a product of this natural process which has adapted different types of creatures into what they are now um, it might be useful to have a proper definition actually I did get yeah, one we? have you got one already alright so I might as well use the wikipedia definition because it's fine mm-hmm. um, evolution is change in the heritable characteristics of biological populations over successive generations these characteristics are the expressions of genes that are passed on from parent to offspring during reproduction so basically that's that's what it is and, and as I said it's it's really this idea that that um, we're all related and we are essentially we're as as creatures including humans we have adapted to our environment and pass those ad- adaptations on to um, our offspring and that's essentially what creates these these different types of species yeah so it's like um you know you can i remember we used to do this at school actually it was part of our little you know biology gcses um you'd be like oh why why do why does a desert mouse have like really um you know big ears or like you know and it's so it's so it can let off heat or like it can retain heat or like you know things like that like why why would you have these features oh it's because they're useful for this environment and it's not like um bodies make decisions like this will be good for us. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll adapt this. It's it's a very long process that just happens by, you know, they do quite well because big ears are useful and um, for 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 that particular environment. So then, you know, that that means that they get to procreate, sort of thing. Um, so that's that. Um, if if we want to jump off from here onto it, it's that natural selection thing, and we yeah. can talk about Darwin from there. Yeah, so so actually you've stumbled across something really interesting there. Um, so the way you describe that is the way that lots of people describe it, and indeed is described on TV with nature programs. So mm-hmm. why do um, these animals have 
big feet or why do they have big ears or why do they have and then we explain it in terms of well you know it it's because it enables them to hear better it enables them to dissipate heat better it enables them to store heat and so on um that's you kind of describe that as a teleological argument so why are these things the way they are well because it helps them to do this or that or the other and that's not really what evolution is and it's really this is part of the problem with language is that the language we use to describe nature is i think is still very creationist in its mm-hmm. in its descriptive power so even even you know scientists evolutionists biologists and so on the way they describe features of the animal kingdom is still very teleological it's this animal had to have this because it needed it in order to survive and that is not how um natural selection works mm-hmm. so but there's that recently there's a kind of a bit of a backlash even in the scientific community about this argument between tele- teleological and and non-teleological it's very <laughs> difficult word to say um ways of thinking about the world but let's just let's get right back to to brass tacks and and there's actually two uh, mechanisms that i think we need to understand so Anybody that's listening to this that doesn't understand evolution, um, I think it's really important to get these two bits off pat. And I might even put this at the front yeah. because it's really important to understand what it is. I think um, so because, like, I, what I just said <laughs> yeah. is what I was told in school. And, yeah. Um, seems well, it's like not it, wrong. No. It's not wrong. But it's simplified but it's, and very... Yeah. yeah. If you say that an animal... Why does an animal have... Okay, a bird that has a, a powerful beak. Why has this bird got a really powerful beak? Well, it's so that it can crack the shells of nuts. So w- when you say it like that, it makes people think, oh, well, if you've, you know, who designed it that way then? If, if you mm-hmm. wanted to design an animal to crack nuts, then obviously you'd design it with a, with a beak that gave it that ability. So it's just the way that it makes us think. It's a... You know, it's a design-oriented way of thinking, and we even say that this animal was designed to do this or designed to do that. And as soon as you make that statement, it's not surprising people who don't know much about science go, "Oh well, if somebody designed it, then who who did it? Who did that designing?" And so I think part of the problem, part of the reason why it's so so many people believe that God did it is because of the way we talk about it. Mm. Um, so let's let's just get right back down to these to these definitions yeah. or to the to what evolution is. And I would describe basically the the genius of evolution was the discovery of two mechanisms. One of those mechanisms is you've mentioned it, natural selection, which means basically that um, any animal that is better suited to its environment, wherever that is, and whatever that environment is if it's better suited even in a small way to its environment it's going to survive a bit longer than its peers the fact that it survives a little bit longer than its peers means it's got more chance to procreate um, and have more babies have more offspring Mm. so you end up with a situation where animals that are even slightly better so an example i was thinking of was an animal that lives in a quite a cold uh, climate it might be that that climate got colder for some reason um if you happen to have been born with slightly 
a better ability to store fat reserves, um, then you're likely you're less likely to die of hypothermia than your brothers and sisters or your your group, yeah. your whoever you wherever you're living. So because you're slightly more likely to survive, you're more likely to have offspring and more offspring. And if it's inherited, then those characteristics are likely to be passed on or more likely to be passed on to your offspring. Therefore, they are also more likely to survive than those that don't carry that gene that uh, gives them slightly more fat reserves to keep warmer. So this is the very, very small difference but it can make a big difference in terms of overall survival. The second thing that, that we need to understand is the mechanism that actually creates that difference, um, and that's mutation. So if we think about genes as being the mechanism by which a body gets the different bits, if you like, um, from how tall you are to how many legs you have to how what colour eyes you have, and so on. It's all in the genes, and... Um, those genes get replicated through obviously normal processes of procreation and of course merged with with the partner's genes but ultimately you're creating copies and if you're creating copies you're always going to get some some errors or mutations and that's essentially what mutations are they are errors in the code so if you get these errors every now and again you're going to get a mutation that changes something very very small um if it changes something very, very big, it normally means that the, the organism dies because it's just not right, you know? Um, so if you had, a, if you had a, a mutation that meant, a huge mutation that meant that your organs developed outside your body, for instance, then you'd die. So most, most mutations are either neutral or damaging. But every now and again, there's a there's a mutation that is could be described as positive for the organism, but only within a particular environment. So if you happen to be in this cold environment and the mutation gives you slightly more body fat, then that's good for you. If you lived in a hot climate and you had the same mutation that gave you a bit more body fat, then that would not be good for you. It might actually be deleterious to your survival. So it's got nothing to do, in a sense, with it being good or bad. It's just whether it is useful for that environment. So that's the by-chance bit that people worry about. How could it all have happened by chance? Well, it's it's not really by chance. It's by mechanism. But there there is an element of... um, randomness i suppose because it depends where that individual happens to be when that mutation occurs and whether it helps them to survive so mutation Mm -hmm. creates a slight difference in the 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 biology of the creature um that then is either useful not useful or neutral if it Mm -hmm. happens to be handy for them in that environment then they are more likely to survive long enough to have offspring and more offspring. And so that's the two things. If you know that about evolution, then you kind of understand it. Yeah. I suppose that's why, um, I mean, humans have been so successful, is you can see our different adaptations based on where people are. Like, you know, having incredibly, having very pale skin is useful in an environment where you get less sun, because it means you can absorb more of the vitamin D. But that will have been just you know someone had slightly paler and then over time like you said they had more kids and so on and so on and so on until you can see the visible differences but at the very beginning it wouldn't even have been particularly noticeable i'm sure absolutely and there's also some variation just down to the fact that 
just you will get variation in a population so there are some things that change that are not really anything to do with an advantage they're just they're just um the fact that just you get you know if you throw some marbles up in the air then you'll get more purple yeah. ones in one corner than the other corner for instance it, yeah i mean there's no particular advantage exactly. or disadvantage of our eye colors for exactly. instance we could we could all have the same eye color but we all have a, a variation exactly. but that's just yeah exactly variation yeah that's right so you will get variation and it doesn't necessarily give you any advantage where it does give you an advantage that drives the change in that species and that's why you get change so that's that's the definition of it i think the other thing if we if we now try and define creationism maybe that would be useful because we're talking about a kind of versus situation here aren't we so how would you define creationism i would define in 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 my complete like blanket statement if i was just like what's creationism i'd be like creationism is um the idea that god or some god of some sort created the earth and all the humans and the animals and they all came into existence as they are um i'm most familiar with a christian understanding and so in my head i immediately think christian and i think he made the earth in the seven days and everything was there as it should be and then things went wrong but he'd he'd put all the pieces on the board yeah yeah so um yeah so creationism itself there's not it's not a a monolithic idea either so you've got the new earth creationists who tend to be the the sort of fundamentalist christians and so like you i'm going to stick to to what i know so this is the christian position the fundamentalist christians um who probably you would describe as new earth creationists the, the, this is the idea that the earth was created as genesis uh, describes in seven days either seven literal days as we know them or seven day periods um but that the earth is is only around six thousand years old um and was prepared for man essentially um so the questions that were asked in the surveys were you know the earth is less than ten thousand years old so that would include all the rocks and all the you know literally everything was created less than ten thousand years ago um so that's a kind of very strong creationist stance um i think a lot of a lot of people that believe in god and creation would reject that and they would say that well obviously the earth's been around a lot longer even jehovah's witnesses which is where i was brought up um even they didn't believe in in the earth being six thousand years old so from that standpoint they're not not as extreme um so for 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 those groups they would say that the earth may have been around for millions of years the bible says nothing about that what actually happen is that god the bible talks about god creating living things and that that's six thousand years so human beings have only been on the earth for six thousand years no more um and so that's so so there are differences in in the the stance i mean that all all of them are not compatible with um with evolution but still um and then you have other you have other groups i think which are less religious in nature who probably say well you know i don't i I do obviously obviously men mankind evolved from um other animals and in fact all animals have evolved we can see that um but 
God must have had something to do with it. You know, how did it all get started? You don't get something from nothing. So somebody must have designed it in the first place. And then there'll be a whole sliding scale of how much that God had to do with the development of different creatures. You know, I think from some people who thought he he perhaps had a quite a lot to do with it, designing all this stuff, to people that just thought he literally got the ball rolling and then walked away. Yeah, this clockwork god theory that he yeah. literally like, here's your bits, off I go. Right. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. Ikea. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so it's all it's all quite a, a a jumble, and that's why I think often things like surveys are really quite difficult to interpret because you're having to collapse all these very nuanced positions together, particularly around creation. So, you know, you're lumping in people who think somebody must have had something to do with it with new earth creationists, and those are such a big. They are such different opinions. Different, I think that's. Yeah just as it's like a societal like problem as well we just love to just quickly put things into boxes don't we so yeah. i'm just like right that don't believe in evolution you're probably one of those weirdos aren't you that doesn't think rocks are old and like you know um <laughs> yeah. refuses to acknowledge things that we've literally proven and it's like well no they might just be spiritual or agnostic or like they they, they just they're not 100% either way but that's not easily quantifiable and and boxy (laughs) I think the other thing is to remember um, what effect it has on people's everyday lives so for most people they don't really care (laughs) if I'm honest you know it matters to me it probably matters to you we're talking about this on a podcast so I hope it matters to some people but I think you know lots of people don't really care think well I don't know you know maybe maybe not I don't really know if you push me (laughs) If you push me to give you an answer, I think somebody had to have something to do with it. And I think it's it's really as sort of banal as that, to be honest. Mm. Um, But, I mean, it does matter. It does matter in my view. Um, But for lots of people, they just live their lives and Mm. that's fine. And how whether God had anything to do with the original conditions of of creation or not doesn't really affect them. Mm. They're, They're not religious anyway. So... So, you know, it doesn't really affect them very much at all. I think where it does matter is there's there's quite a lot of, again, in that survey, and I'm talking from memory now, I think around 40%, the UK survey, and this is quite surprising, around 40% of the surveyed people thought that um, there should be some teaching of intelligent design in schools. Right. That's more that, than I uh, thought. Yeah, as a humanist and as, a, as an atheist, I find that quite disturbing um but that's that's the position so that's an area where i think we do need to to address yeah so obviously at schools um in england we have something called re which is religious education um i don't know if that's something that everybody does across the globe um but i I can see a place for understanding different religions and what they believe and if you're going to talk about the religions i'm sure you start at the beginning and what they think happens at the beginning i don't necessarily see an issue with that i think what should happen is that yeah there is also a balance of in religious education you get like people from the humanists talk about you know the more agnostic or or atheist opinion um just so that it is balanced um at our school we only talked about um 
Muslims and Christianity like for some schools pick two (laughs) and that's what you do because it's curriculum based and you've got so much time but um, I can see a place for talking about you know what does your friend like Jenny believe at church and you know what does your mate think when they're at the mosque like just to understand each other and where we come from but I don't know if that's where it's coming from yeah, the concerning thing is, uh, particularly in the States, and I, I don't know, there's not the same movement in the UK for it, but in the States there's a there's a push to have intelligent design taught alongside science as an alternative scientific explanation. You see, that's where I don't think it has a place, yeah, no. That's, that's quite, that's definitely against what I would say. No, definitely. Say. So we, we understand now, or we've got this, this definition of what evolution is, and we, we've now, we understand the two mechanisms of evolution, which are these mutations that that create change or potential for change and then natural selection which just happens to favor some of these changes they just happen to work together quite well it's not that i think the thing that i've that re re rebrained a bit there which is useful just to say out loud in case anyone else was thinking it is i guess in my head i was thinking about it more reversed where i was thinking in the environment they needed a thing so then a mutation happened and then they kept it whereas it's not that it's they happen to be an environment where that would be useful and then it happens that they got that mutation exactly and you know what celine if that is what people get from this conversation i think that is so important because that is the bit that i think causes people to go down the the design path and as i said this is because of the language we use you know why has this animal got this well it's it's because of x y or z and and there is a um, as I say, that that tends to be a, a way of talking about nature because it it makes common sense, if you yeah. like. And we talk in stories, and it's very it's yeah, very story, that's right. isn't it? And, yeah. and and understandable, but it's not necessarily what's going on. No, that's right. I mean, there, there are there there is an attempt to um, to challenge that notion but I don't think we, we understand philosophically enough about how to do that yet without it getting embroiled into the idea that it must have been some sort of intelligent designer that made it happen so in the early days when um, when evolution was I guess in the zeitgeist if you like so before Darwin um, wrote his book and did his, his research there, was, there were ideas around adaptation and around evolution. And one of them was what you described, was that you know animals would, would mutate or would develop something they needed and would then pass that on to their offspring. Um, and so that's the, that's the way I think that people kind of still think about evolution today. But that is absolutely not the mechanism. It is just the fact, as I say, that that particular adaptation just or that particular mutation means that it's well adapted it just happens to be useful in that environment yeah. and that gives it a more chance to survive therefore it has more babies yeah. and that's that becomes the dominant species i think it's like that word sometimes adapt because when we use it about ourselves it's yeah. very active adapting sounds very active yeah. like a process yeah. that you choose to go on um and that's not what it means in this context um it, it just means it, it, it was useful basically so it that's stayed right. Um, that's right yeah so if you talk to um you know people that i grew up with and um my my family i suppose you know that they would have an idea of evolution as as what you described before as as being a 
a way that animals change and they would also think about the individual as well i think so they they would think that the individual animal would kind of start growing along a neck or would start you know having like a, from giraffes you'd see it over yeah, like a period exactly, of a few, yeah. <laughs> their baby yeah, would be very quick, with a long neck <laughs> exactly you'd be able to observe it you know uh-huh. but but you wouldn't you no, wouldn't see it i remember when, when i was uh, a child uh growing up obviously i was steeped in in the theory of create well not the theory of the, the belief in creation yeah. we had a book called did man get here by evolution or creation so i read that book over and over again i remember talking to the teachers at school saying well if evolution is true then why don't we see you know the midway between apes and humans now you know thinking the i've got link. my teacher <laughs> <laughs> exactly well there's that this trope around the missing link has been around for a long time so why don't we see these these midway animals now and the answer is well we do we see them all over the place because animals have all sorts of things in common um it's just that they are their own species so you don't see a halfway between um a mammal and a bird but what you do see is you see flying squirrels that have adapted um pouches around their arms with bits of skins which allows them to go from tree to tree um you see bats who are not birds um able to fly so there are all of these qualities that that you might associate with one animal that other animals or other species have that you absolutely see in lots and lots of different animals what you don't see is some kind of weird looking hybrid between a bat and a bird some terrifying mutant just coming out <laughs> right. of a hole like <laughs> exactly <laughs> Like, and you wouldn't expect to see that. No. So, but again, this is this is why it can be so difficult to understand evolution because people have such a strange kind of view of it. You know, mm. they think it's it's something that it's not. You like wouldn't notice it. That mm. now you can. What what's happened over the last fifty years, which is really quite interesting. So when I was growing up, I mentioned I had this book called "Did Man Get Here by Evolution or Creation?" and a lot of the stuff in there was all trying to debunk the fossil record. You know, the fossil record does not show these transitional forms. Mm. We don't see animals going from one to another. Um, but what's happened in the last sort of fifty years, um, as I've been growing up, is the the way that we can now look at genetic. Uh, biology and and identify how closely related we all are you know we have 97 to 99 percent the same dna as chimpanzees and bonobos yeah Um, and we also share dna with with uh, bacteria and bananas and spider plants you know they, they they are all basically um yeah i noticed that because behind you um they're all basic we're all related we all have the same genetic materials we all have those four amino acids we all develop proteins it's just how those are expressed yeah. um and we are absolutely yeah. they happen to have different mutations that led them to their place yeah and, yeah and we are so all the same family so if we ever do meet life from outer space you know it's unless it all came from a single source which is possible within the solar system but if we if we met um aliens from alpha centauri you know they'd be so different to us and we wouldn't be related to them but any any creature you find on earth has come from that that original soup form of life yeah (laughs) 
yeah so um so yeah it's 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 really understanding what it is i think is is really the key to this mm. um and and understanding that helps you to understand what evolution really means um when i when i do my school visits so as a humanist i i I get invited to schools to to do little presentations about what humanists believe, which is really great fun. Um, but one of the questions that always comes up, you know, well, how did we all get here? Yeah. You know, and um, if there isn't a God, how did we get here? And so and that's a really big question, isn't it? I mean, you know, that's what kids where, do. where should we start yeah. you know, with that question? So if we talk about human beings, I think the answer is fairly simple although can be difficult for a child to understand but it's yeah we evolved from other creatures um but of course then the 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 question that ultimately get asked is well where did they come from you know um so that's perhaps something we can talk about in a moment but i've waffled on a lot so what what do you have to say about it i i suppose i was just going to ask in in the next section i was going to go more into what is evolution's place in today's society the, the you know the big question are we still evolving um okay before we do that can i just mm. you just reminded me of something uh-huh. though um now i was listening to a podcast the other day and it made me shout at the my mobile phone oh, no. because it was it was actually um an evolutionist or a, a scientist that was talking about this and it just made me really really angry because again he he described evolution in a completely inappropriate way so the question of whether you know whether we are likely to still carry on evolving came up, and the the answer was, yeah, we you know uh, we we might evolve um, things, or we might we might lose certain things that we have now that we don't really need anymore, um, and that's just not the way that evolution works. So this idea that human beings are developing. Uh, um, I don't know, strange backs because we're looking at our devices all the time is absolute Yeah, that is absolutely ridiculous because the the, the trouble with, with that is it again it assumes that we will start evolving characteristics that are useful for us in our lives that is not the way it works we have a mutation which will then either help us or not how will ha- having a slightly crooked spine help us to reproduce yeah, no. to reproduce that quality in our offspring it's not is it Mm-mm. so that just makes me no. angry and i always think that just always annoys me anyway everyone's always going on about that the whole like we're going we're we're ending up with like i see pictures sometimes it's like the future human and they look like this horrible mangled like creature because we look down too much at our devices and stuff and it's like um but like did we never look down before <laughs> I know, but if that was true, so the only way that could happen mm. would be that if looking down meant that we were more likely, or, you know, being stooped over our devices, if that happened to make us more likely to live longer and find a mate and have babies, if that action made it more likely to do that, then yes, that could possibly make more people but have you know those what I'm characteristics. Throw out there? I bet it's not because no, how many people do you, how how many people do you think get like get dates when they're just staring at their phone constantly exactly. and then go out and like what no yeah no exactly so it doesn't does it no, no sorry it right okay yeah next but that point. was just a yeah I suppose my question running off of that is the whole like 
what is evolution's place in society now so both um you know what it is are we still evolving just general question not not what are we going to get based on like our bad living habits i mean you know are we evolving is there a, is are we still mutating and then keeping things i would argue it doesn't just stop because we think we're the pinnacle i, I imagine that there are still mutations um and like you said they're very slight um but yeah first question i guess yeah the the biology the physical side of it are yeah. what what place does it have now and also um like yeah mentally um societally this conversation what what place does it hold um, so so the first the first question is um are we still evolving and that's that's a, a question that actually scientists are arguing about it's it's mm-hmm. actually not an easy one to answer so the the question is um if if we're to answer the question are we still evolving then we have to look at those two mechanisms yeah so are are our cells or are our um is our dna still mutating so the answer to that would be yes absolutely because that is always going to happen because you're copying so you will always get some mutation but the next question is are those mutations likely to or is it possible that they create some advantage in certain individuals that are likely to be passed on um, to their offspring Um, and the argument against evolution is that we live in a society now where pretty much anybody can uh, reproduce yeah so if you think about in the the olden days the bad old days when just a slight increase in that body fat means you survive longer to have children um life was very brutal and you know if you if you were if you didn't survive you didn't survive you know there was plenty yeah. of other babies that would um so people had a lot more children and there was a lot more churn if you like yeah. whereas now um slight differences in in physiology are unlikely to mean that certain individuals have more uh offspring so partly that's because we live in a society where you know we have a lot of mobility so people can find a partner even if they have lots of um elements that might not be particularly advantageous they still are able to reproduce and the other thing is we we've interfered with reproduction haven't we so we we generally don't want 20 children you know so we most people will have between one and two children in the western world certainly um and that's the way that we are going as a as a society if you even if you weren't able to if if you needed intervention we have like amazing things like ivf and stuff like that so yes right um, yeah we've got a lot of opportunity and yeah we have a lot of um it's not a unless you're a kind of a scary eugenics person um yeah we we live in a society where everyone gets to be (laughs) um so yeah i suppose that's what i was thinking with my own question it's not like evolution in our bodies got turned off because they were like and now we are the pinnacle and we have reached our final form like some sort of pokemon um like i don't think we just reached final form and that was it i think it's just we've reached a point as humans where we can we can actually adapt the environment to us I think that's the key. That is the you've hit the nail on the head, really. So yeah, there's there's this idea that, um, and this was again, we might come on to social Darwinism a bit later, but 
um, this idea that you know man is the pinnacle of creation and that that was very much the, the yeah. creationist view and still mm-hmm. is I think you know that um, we were the crowning glory of, of God's creation this is what it all led to and yeah, God made like man and woman in his image and, and all of that um, so yeah and I think that that also that carried on there's a hangover of that even yeah. in evolutionary terms so yeah mankind is the is the end we're of evolution we're a bit of narcissist we, you know as humans yeah, we're a bit narcissistic we, we like to yeah. go and say and now we are at our evolutionary peak right. and it's like, so no that there's yeah. no evidence for that whatsoever but what as you say what's happened is we we are now adapting the environment to suit us as we are um so i, I would guess there is some evolutionary pressure um I suppose if you happen to be tall and handsome, you're more likely to mm-hmm. have uh, more sexual partners than if you're little and ugly. But you you tend to um, we tend to mitigate that because of, as I said, our our ability to control how many yeah. children we have. And also, there's a lot of like in terms of finding a partner. Like there may have been you know a time when there was a particular like male look that was looked for and a particular female look and that's we can unpack a bit of evolutionary psychology there but um mm. that might be a thing that's going on but you know now we all have access realistically like you could find your partner anywhere in the world because we all have access to the internet and everybody's type to use that phrase is is different and you you know what might be like oh we, i don't i don't date short guys a bit rude but anyway i don't date short guys is someone else's jam you know what i mean so yeah um yeah someone for everyone as they say yeah. um and that that scuppers some of some of the again popular theories around evolution which is that um you know go forward twenty thousand years and we'll mm. look like the greys the grey aliens, you know, yeah. that's actually our future, you know, because mm-hmm. we're, we're we don't need these big bodies and we're going to become more cerebral and so we'll on. have like massive so, heads. I keep, yeah, I see these weird YouTube videos. It's yeah. like what we're going to look like, and it's like, yeah, it's exactly. like, like they stretch out their eyes and they're like, yeah, because yeah. like we like big eyes and then they give them like, you know, all of these features. And I'm like, the thing that I think is just proves that that's not true is the way that we, we, we will like. We, we don't need to evolve it because we've reached a point in technology where if someone wants to change you know their part of their body they literally can with plastic surgery and things like that well up to a point yeah up to no a obviously point. I, not, you can't make not, massive we're not quite alien there. eyes no. but you know what i mean like and i i can't make myself less less ugly even if i was to try so you I know, think you could it's not quite not, it's you, not I, you always say that and I don't it's, it's not true. quite as simple as that but yeah you can imagine a future where you could you could change physically what whatever you wanted and, and to. someone but, might say yeah. that's a form of evolution like technological evolution we've reached yeah, a point where not. we control things but it's not mm. that's that's different it's not the evolution we're, we're no. talking about today so no, no. um so yeah, so um, so evolution has to for evolution to take place. Biological evolution has to take place. It has to have those two mechanisms: mutation and the uh, natural selection. And the, the second bit at the moment, we are as human beings, we are interfering with that for for good or bad. That is just the way it is. But there might be small things. So often quoted is lactose tolerance yeah. as an evolutionary change over the last few hundred years. So most people certainly in the west can drink milk um whereas in certain parts of the world that's not quite so much the case because they're not used to drinking milk into adulthood um therefore you know we have that that change and you can imagine a world where everybody is 
able to drink milk uh, mm. into adulthood. Mm. Um, so yes, uh, is, it is possible that you that you have slight changes, but it, you have to explain it in terms of how does that give you a mm. survival advantage um, over over someone else? And if you can't explain that, then you can't really call it evolution. Mm. So I suppose on our closing points, like the last um, bit I want to get our teeth into before we uh, wave goodbye um, is, well, we won't wave, it's a podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, but what I'd like to talk about is um, the sort of evolutionary psychology stuff, um, because obviously there's also this idea that, um, you know, there's ways that we behave according to our evolutionary past and so on. Um, and and I, I personally, you'll know more about it because you've done a psychology degree. Personally, I, w- I always find it a little bit weird because I'm like, how do you know that? Like, where's this coming from? Is it just like common sensing it and thinking that that makes sense? Like, for instance, when they go, women typically have, um, or the reason it's aspired to have wide hips and so on is because that's like good for procreating. And then I'm like, how do we know that? Or like, that's why men like that in women. And I'm like, how do we know that? What's that place? Yeah. Like this evolutionary psychology thing. All right. So, yeah, so um, it is quite controversial, but I think the first thing we have to acknowledge is that, of course, uh, behaviour is part of the evolutionary picture. So why, um, again, I'm, I'm about to use this teleological argument there. Why do, you know, why do babies, um, why, why they got a strong suck reflex, you know? So, so how is that adaptive? How is a strong suck reflex... Um, how how come that is an adaptive behavior how come evolution selected for a strong suck reflex so that is a piece of behavior isn't it so when a baby is born you know just you put a finger in its mouth and it sucks it you put a dummy in its mouth and it sucks it it sucks everything and the reason for that is obvious um that's strongly adaptive because obviously young that sucked a lot got more milk yeah ability to latch was very important exactly so cling on Mm. uh was was important um so yes there's there's lots of instinctive behavior that are absolutely adaptive in other words they are bits of behavior that were just like those mutations that were useful in the environment in which they live so a child that would suck on its mother um would survive better than a child who didn't so that of course would make a difference um and then you can start applying that to all sorts of different things you know we think that a lot of our modern sort of fear responses to things you know like we we live in a society where we're always kind of anxious about something and that's partly because if you think about again our evolutionary past we're always looking for uh, for danger you know we we are essentially prey we come from prey so we are therefore adapted to be aware of eyes looking at us or dark places where we can't see what's around us we have these natural fears and and there's really good logic behind well why why do we have those things well because these are adaptive behaviors um you know a human an early human that was totally oblivious to the risks of a saber-toothed tiger 
isn't going to be alive very long, is it? So unlikely to procreate. So yeah, absolutely. Behavior is a big part of the, the picture. So is evolutionary psychology a thing? Absolutely, in my view. Of course it is. We Behaviors evolve just like um, biological features. And if you if you pair it right back anyway, you know, if you think about behavior, ultimately, um, when a when a child is born, it will have um, some genetic predispositions to do certain things. So behavior is tied up with our genes and our structures, uh, our neurological structures anyway, isn't it? So you can you can still bring it back down to cells and mutations yeah. if you like. So, yes, it is a thing. But. The problem is, is that it's such a powerful idea um, that it can be used for all sorts of things. So like you say, yeah, you know, why why do men prefer big breasts? Um, why do men prefer wide hips? Why do women prefer tall men? Why do women prefer l- wide shoulders and so on? You know, so and the, the logic seems pretty sound. But the problem is, as you stated okay how can you prove that where's the evidence for that and so it gets described by other psychologists and other um scientists as just so stories okay it's just like oh so that that makes sense yeah and so why is that well because it it just is you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so you if you have a theory that you cannot disprove um then essentially you don't really have anything and that's the problem when i was growing up there used to be this guy oh i can't remember his name now mm-hmm. um well it comes to me he... after the show mm. um he used to be really big on telly um yeah i can't remember his name mm. um but he had a series of programs on tv that kind of explained all our evolutionary or the evolutionary roots of all these behaviours that we do. You know, why do we do this? And why do we do that? And why do yeah. we do that? Oh, well, it's because. And he would explain that, you know, back in back when we were um, apes or back when we were this or that, you know, we're apes now, obviously, mm. but um, back when we were this More creature ape. or that creature. <laughs> I remember my dad, you know, that this was great for them because they would scoff at this and, you know, say, mm. oh, that's a load of rubbish. How do you know that? And in a way, it's kind of right. How do you know it? You don't know it. So you can. And the problem with evolutionary psychology is that you can come up with hypotheses. Yeah. So it's, that's fine, but actually proving or disproving them is is very very yeah. difficult. And, and I think the issue I find is that it could you could make everything just an evolutionary biology thing instead yes. of like, well, what what is down to you as a person or down to just you know our actual current environment everything's down to like what's already happened and been gone um and i guess that's again you know what i've said in the past about this whole agency thing it's like we just formed then and then we never like have you know these are all built in or something for forever yeah definitely a subject for another podcast Mm. is you know why do we behave the way that we do Mm. and the answer is there's a lot of features Mm. there's a lot of factors that go into it there's there's our genetics there's Mm. our environment there's the fact that we can learn and we can be rational creatures so all of that goes into it and you know evolutionary psychology has a big part to play Mm. instincts and instinctive behavior is definitely as a result of as of adaptations but Um, but going any further than that, I think, can be um, can be quite mm, problematic. Definitely. 
just one last thing I'd like to say that okay. I should have said at the beginning was one of the criticisms about uh, evolution that people level at it is that well it's only a theory it's the theory of evolution therefore it's not a fact it's only a theory mm. um, and I just wanted to address that point the yeah. idea of a theory in scientific terms is that it's a structured framework uh, on which you can then decide what are good questions to ask it's not you're not it's not really saying whether it's likely to be true or not that's a separate question so we have lots of theories that are the structure on which we can then say, um, right, we can ask this question or we can ask that question. So calling it a theory is not downplaying no. its likelihood to be true. It's just that it is a scientific way of framing a whole set of um, understandings, if you like, about the world mm. on which you can base a whole bunch of hypotheses on which you can ask a bunch of questions. Yep. So, you know, it doesn't prove it's true either, but it certainly doesn't um, cast yeah. any doubt on its factual. I think that nature. would be a good thing is maybe we could do one day, um, you know, my partner is very passionate about this. I'd love to do a podcast with him as well where we talk about um, like scientific literacy and um, mm. and talking about, you know, these words that are used and how sometimes he, I suppose, has suggested that there's an element of... of um, I get uh, maybe accidental gatekeeping by using these words that people don't understand what they mean in a scientific context. So then they're like, theory, that means, oh, it's just an idea. Because um, he said about that before, like they have to use certain yeah. terms. Like you can't talk in absolutes really with the science. Like that's not how it mm. is done. But um, that's not how we work in the standard world. So we don't understand what's going on there. So maybe talking a little bit about yeah these terms how they're used and that sort of thing just would be interesting the language and how we understand the world through the language we use would be a good yeah, one absolutely um, yeah so, yeah okay yeah definitely um and maybe uh i don't think we've finished this conversation mm -hmm. i feel like we haven't finished this conversation mm -hmm. so let's let's make this a uh, part one yeah i'd like to talk about social darwinism in part I two i think that would be good yeah um because there's terms like survival of the fittest and so yeah. on that have been completely misunderstood yeah. and misused um, and I've created quite a bit of suffering, so yeah. um, I think, I think we, should we talk could talk about, about that. some really cool stuff. There's also these mm. weird—I can't remember the name for them—but my housemate was telling me about it. Where there's these like, like he could talk about this in relation to it. Where there's these men that um, are basically like, I'm unlovable and everyone hates me, and like it's because of how I look. And we could Incels. talk about yes, we could. I think we could talk about them in relation to involuntary it. celibates. Yeah, I think yeah. we could talk about that in relation to that. Do you think? Yeah, why not? Yeah, let's do that. If you're excited for this weird conversation that's coming next week, <laughs> hold on to your hats. Yeah, why not? All right, yeah. well, thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for and, listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed ooh. part one. <laughs> <laughs> See you next week. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>